0: Well, for several weeks we've been talking about the messes we create for ourselves, and today we're going to focus on whether or not we learn from our messes, whether or not we learn from our mistakes, because it's an important thing that we learn and not keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over. Because all of us have known people, and you know, who who, who did something, uh, and it cost them. Brought pain into their life. And then they turned right around and did it again. And they said to themselves, I'm never doing that again. Only to turn around and what? Do it again. Keep repeating the same mistakes, making similar messes over and over and over. Uh, you, you graduates, I'm, I'm 55, and there are people I graduated high school with who today, their lives are a shadow of what they could have been because they kept doing the same thing over and over and over. I think about Jimmy, who was one of my best friends. that has been through three marriages and today's alone. I think about Jay, who went through two divorces before he finally grew up, and now he's living for the Lord. But it took him three decades after graduating to come to his senses. And all of us, no matter what our age, no matter what our background, we know people who they make bad decisions, they create messes, and they just seem to keep making them over. And over and over and over and over and over, and they never learn from it. They don't. They don't grow up. You know, I uh, I'm curious to see what happens in Justin Bieber's life. For those of you who don't know the young 19 year old, he's sold about 15 million albums already and had several number one hits. And it was funny this 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 week Memorial Day he was driving through his neighborhood at at, at a breakneck speed. I mean, just going you know, three times over the speed limit in a neighborhood. And different neighbors called the police to complain. And one of them was Keyshawn Johnson, the former NFL wide receiver who lives in the same neighborhood. He actually got in his car, drove to Bieber's house to confront him about it because there was a kid playing outside while he was driving like a maniac in the neighborhood. Of course, Bieber wouldn't come out and talk to him, had his bodyguards and all handle that. And that's not the first time few weeks ago he did something very similar in the neighborhood and the police were called and so he's got two court appearances um, to answer those two charges and of course he's had all kinds of other problems in recent months as well but what caught my attention was a quote from Justin Bieber after all of this this mess all these problems all this immaturity he said he said I'm young I'm young I don't want to have fun he said I don't think there's anything wrong with that He went on to say mistakes are part of growing up. Well, true enough. Is there anybody in this room who's never made a mistake? Hmm? Anybody? Yeah, right. (laughs) Anyone who's never created a mess of some kind in your life? We all make mistakes. That is part of growing up. But here's the catch. Making mistakes does not guarantee that you grow up. You're not going to get any smarter just because you make a mistake in life, whether you're an 18-year-old or a 68-year-old senior adult. Just because you make mistakes and bad decisions and messes doesn't mean you're maturing any at all. I know people who are, in the last decades of their life, just as immature as some teenagers, emotionally and other ways. So... Making mistakes doesn't guarantee progress, advancement, maturity, growing up. Some mistakes are costly. I mean, every, every mistake costs us something, but some of them are really costly. We pay a heavy price for them. Some, some mistakes are such that we we end up paying a price for those choices for years, if not decades. There, there are some mistakes, some messes we create that will follow us to our grave. There's nothing you can do to to clean up that mess, to undo that decision. That's just how life, how life works. And if you keep making the same mistake or similar mistakes over and over and over, are you really learning anything? If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, are you actually growing up? See, learning from it and growing up means something changes along the way. If nothing changes, you're still that same messed up person that made all those mistakes in the first place. And um, say something to the high school graduates here. You know what the past four years, eight years, 18 years of your life have been like. But just think about the last four years for a moment. You know the things you've done the last four years that, that, that you did really well. You also know the things from the past four years that you did not do well. There are things you know that you messed up that your parents don't know anything about. Your parents who think you're a perfect angel. Yeah, you know you did some things they don't know about that were some mistakes. Some of the mistakes you made they know about. Now, God knows about all of them. Some of you didn't study like you should have. So are you going to repeat that mistake in college and throw away thousands of dollars and lessen the likelihood of having a decent financial future? Or are you going to buckle down and give yourself a better chance? Some of you made some mistakes with alcohol and drugs. And i got to tell you when, you, when you leave here and your parents are not there and you're at college, you're going to have more opportunities. You're going to actually find more encouragement to, 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 to engage in alcohol and drugs than you can possibly imagine right now. In fact, it's going to be promoted to you, not just available. It's going to be pushed in your face. It's going to be shoved down your throat, and you won't have to do a thing except go alone you Are you going to make that mistake or are you going to do different? Some of you have done things on dates. Are you going to continue making those mistakes or not? Some of you, church hasn't been important to you. It's been inconsistent. God, well, you're religious, you're here, but God's really not been important to you. What about when you get to college? Some of you have had some friends that you had no business hanging out with. Are you going to repeat that mistake at the next stage of your life or are you going to continue hanging out with friends you've got no business hanging out with? See, making mistakes doesn't mean you grow up. Learning from them and doing something different in the future means you're growing up. You're, you're becoming smarter, wiser. So, as you're graduating, here's the question I want to ask you: When you get to college, are you going to start over? You going? You, or do you want a better future? Or do you plan to keep making the same mistakes? And here's the thing. If you don't have an intentional plan for starting over, you'll probably make the same mistakes, if not worse ones. you got to be intentional about starting over and doing differently in the future. The question is, for all of us, whatever our age, is: are, are we going to listen to God or not? Are we going to hear God and then act on what God says to us Or are we going to spend our years on this planet pretty much doing whatever we want to do? Oh, you know, God may influence us a little bit. We we love Jesus. We talk about Jesus. But the truth is we pretty much do whatever it is we want to do. Are we going to live like that or are we going to listen to God and have our lives patterned after what God says to us in Scripture? Well, We've been looking at a tragic story in the Bible. It's the story of the people of God in Jerusalem and Judea during the time of the prophet Jeremiah. 600 years, give or take, before the time of Christ. A group of people who didn't listen to God, they ignored God, they did whatever they wanted. Yeah, they were religious, but God wasn't the master of their life. And things got so bad, they turned their back on God so much that God said, okay, okay. You don't want to look at me, I'm not going to look at you. You don't want to trust me, I'm removing my favor from your life. And their choices created a huge mess. And for them as a people, as a nation, the mess was that their country lost its freedom. They were conquered by the Babylonians. Over a period of years, their nation was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was burned to the ground. The temple was burned. The the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, were lost forever. And the majority of the population was carried as slaves to Babylon, to a foreign country where they would spend the rest of their lives and ultimately die. They would never see the homeland again. And many of them lost a lot of loved ones during the war. So it was a terrible time in their life. Today I want to skip ahead to afterward. Jerusalem is is, is in smoke. It's burned. It's, it's done. The only thing where the temple once stood is stones, rubble. The countryside's been laid waste to. The people are already those who are carried away as slaves, they're, they're gone. They're, they're, they're on their way. They're, they're, they're now in Babylon. And the, the tragic story is detailed to us in, in chapters 40 through 44 in the book of Jeremiah. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to, to, to that part of Jeremiah, feel free to do so, especially chapter 42, Jeremiah 42. And what, what he tells us, is that he left the poorest of the poor behind, the Babylonians did. In other words, pretty much the only people still living in Judea and Jerusalem after that deportation were the poorest of the poor, the least educated, those who had practically no resources. They had thrown Jeremiah in prison before the city collapsed. The Babylonians actually released Jeremiah and gave them the option to go and live in freedom and luxury in Babylon or to stay with his people, the poor people there in Jerusalem. And that's what he chose to do, stay behind in Jerusalem. Well, after the Babylonians left and took the captives with them, a small number of Jews and soldiers who had fled during the war to neighboring countries for safety came back. And so now you have the poorest of the poor that Nebuchadnezzar left behind and these who had fled for safety. So you've got them living together now in Jerusalem and Judea in this small, impoverished, devastated nation. And the Babylonians took a man who was a good man with a a strong family heritage. His name was Gedaliah, and they made him the, the, the acting governor of Judah. And Jeremiah was there as the prophet, and he had Baruch, who was a... Very dedicated man of God, a scribe with him to help. And the the story is told, and I won't bore you with all the, the details right now, but the long and short of it is, after a period of some months, a group of these who had returned from that had fled to other nations that had come back assassinated Gedaliah. And so the people became afraid. The, the Babylonians had made him the acting governor. How's the Babylonians, how, how are the Babylonians who had just destroyed our city and our nation, how are they going to react to a group of insurgents, so to speak, assassinating the very guy they had put in charge to run the country on their stead? And so they were afraid the Babylonians were going to come back and just, you know, wreak havoc and take vengeance. And there was good reason to think like that. But before they go to Egypt, because here's what happens, they're so afraid, they, they 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 get together, a group of them, and they they park, if you will, at this one town, and their their goal, their intention is to go to Egypt. Thinking that if they, they flee to Egypt, they'll be safe. The Egyptian government will protect them. And the Babylonians can't hurt them there. But before going to Egypt, they they decide, well, let, let's 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 make certain They were afraid. They wanted to go, but let's make certain. So they they came to Jeremiah, and they asked him to pray in chapter 42, verses 1 and following, if you want to look at it. It says in in verse 1 of chapter 42, all the commanders, Joannan, and then at the end of verse 42, all the people, both small and great, approached. They approached Jeremiah and said to him in verse 2, Please let our petition come before you and pray. Pray for us to the Lord your God. Verse 3, that the Lord your God may tell us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. So before we go to Egypt, because we're afraid of what the Babylonians might do in retaliation, Jeremiah, will you pray and ask God what we should do? Should we go to Egypt or should we stay here in Judah? And then they continue in verses 4, 5, and 6, and they say, Jeremiah, whatever God tells you to tell us, We'll do it. Whether it's pleasant, unpleasant. Jeremiah says, now remember, whatever God tells me, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the plain truth. I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I won't hold anything back. Whatever God tells me, I'm telling you all of it. They say, that's what we want. Jeremiah, whatever God tells you for us to do, that's what we will do. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Whether it's easy or are hard. So Jeremiah goes off and prays. It's 10 days before he gets an answer from God. Now, can you imagine all the tension among those people during those 10 days? When, When, when is God going to answer? When is God going to tell them something? Can you imagine all the anxiety? They were already afraid. Can you just imagine all that was going on emotionally within them during those 10 days of waiting for a word from God? Some of them probably became pretty impatient. See, one of the things is God doesn't always give you the answer exactly when you want it. Sometimes God tests your faith by seeing if you're willing to wait. Wait. And trust him in the meantime. So here's the question. After 10 days, God gives Jeremiah an answer. Here's what they're supposed to do. Now, how many of you think when they got the answer from God through Jeremiah, how many of you think they ignored it and did whatever they wanted? All right. How many of you think they heard it and followed it? How many of you are afraid to answer because you don't want to be wrong? (laughs) God comes to them through Jeremiah. And he says, Jeremiah, tell them. and, and, And it's recounted in the later part of chapter 42. Tell them to stay in Judah. Don't go to Egypt. And if they stay in Judah, I will bless them. I'll show compassion on them. I'll cause the Babylonians to show compassion to them. I'll protect them. And, and all of the calamity that's, that's come to this point, all of the mess that they've lived through to this point, is going to end. I'm going to fix things. If they obey me, if they trust me, and they stay here in Judah even though they're afraid. But if, and you can put that in capital letters, B-U-T-I-F, but if, capital letters, underline, bold, But if they don't listen to me and do what they plan on their own and go to Egypt because they think in Egypt they'll be safe from the Babylonian army, they'll be safe from the death that will come, they'll be safe from famine and starvation and other problems. If they do that, instead of listening to me, everything they're afraid of and everything they're running from is going to follow them to Egypt. And the Babylonians will attack Egypt They will suffer in Egypt. Many of them will die in Egypt. They will experience starvation and deprivation in Egypt. And none of them, none of them, none of them, none of them will ever see their homeland again. Jeremiah, tell them that. Jeremiah told them. And they listened intensely. All right, let's find out how they reacted. Chapter 43. Verse 1, as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord. Verse 2, Azariah, Johanan, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, you, in verse 2, right in the middle of verse 2, you are telling what? A lie. You're telling a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, you are not to enter to Egypt and reside there. And it goes on to say they didn't obey the voice of God. Instead, they all got their stuff together and they headed off to Egypt. And to make matters worse, they kidnapped Jeremiah and Baruch and took them with them to Egypt. Babylon did attack Egypt about 15 years later. They settled, if you were looking at the map today, when they went to Egypt, they settled in what would be, if you're looking at the northeast part of Egypt, the closest you could get in Egypt and still, you know, the closest you could get up toward, toward Palestine. So as the Babylonian army came to attack Egypt, guess who the Babylonian army went through first? These Jews who wouldn't listen to God. Now, can, can we learn anything from this group of God's people? Because the truth is, in a lot of ways, we're like them. It's a different story. But we're like them in so many ways. Real quickly, here's some lessons, okay? And I think there's some blanks in your note sheet to, to fill in. Just some I'm not going to elaborate much. Just give give us some quick lessons from this story, lessons learned. The first is about good intentions, good intentions. They they said, Jeremiah, we want things to be different in the future, and whatever God tells us, that's what we will do. Whether Whether it's easy or hard, pleasant or unpleasant, whatever God tells us, we'll do it. You see, good intentions are not enough. How many of you have ever said, oh, I'm never doing that again? How, how many of you have ever said, I'm going to do different in the future? One day I'm going to. You have all these good intentions, and good intentions are good, but they're inadequate. Because nothing happens simply because you and I have good intentions. Good intentions without action, without follow through, without Behavioral modification are irrelevant. Just because you want to means nothing if you don't do it. Good intentions are insufficient. Second lesson is is to think about patterns in life. Patterns. For decades, they had developed the pattern of tuning God out. Now they still went to the temple, they were religious, but they ignored God, didn't listen to God, did what they wanted even though they were religious. That had been their pattern. Now they're confronted with a crisis, they've created this big mess, they want a different future, they have good intentions, but they don't change because They end up repeating the same pattern that got them in that mess in the first place. That is a a perfect picture of where some of you in this room are living right now. You're repeating the same patterns today that, that you lived in the past. And, and you've had the good intentions of, of things changing, of things being different, but they're not. Same thing today as it was yesterday. Pattern. You know, because patterns are kind of like rut, the deeper the rut, the harder it is to get out. The longer you 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 you, you, you let a pattern develop, the more powerful it becomes. The the longer you follow a certain pattern in your thinking, in your decision making, in your lifestyle, the deeper that rut gets, the stronger, more powerful that pattern is, whether it's a good one or a bad one, and the more difficult it is to ever change it. How many of you in here became a believer? I want you to, I want you to, this is spontaneous, let me just, let's just, how many of you became A believer. Gave your life to Jesus when you were a child or a teenager. Stand up. Child or a teenager. Stand up. Child or a teenager. Stand up. Would you look around? Everybody look around. Look around. What percentage of the whole crowd would you say this is that's standing? Maybe 80%? Hmm? Now, remain standing. If you became a teenager during your college years or in your 20s, join this group and stand up. In your 20s. College years or 20s. All right? More standing up. More now, go ahead and be seated. If you became a believer at age fifty or later, age fifty or later, stand up. Age fifty or later, stand up. Stand up. Fifty or later. Let's give those who are standing now a hand. But I want you, I want you to look around and see these brave souls who are standing. Go ahead and st- stay up, fifties. Fifty and up. You got saved. Stay. stay. Look around. How many do you see? We we, we know from life, we know from research that the older you get, the more difficult it is to change. We, We know from behaviors that if you're a jerk at 20, you'll just be a worse jerk at 70 if you don't change when you're young. If you're a kind person in your 20s, you'll be an even kinder person in your 70s. Because whatever you are gets exacerbated as you age if you don't change when you're young. It's harder to change. I think y'all can be seated about. Forgot about you. <laughs> the longer a pattern exists, the longer you stay in a rut. The deeper it gets, the harder it gets, and the more difficult it is to change, for good or bad. And to you graduates, you're, you're getting ready to step. You're already in the process of digging some ruts. You're already in the process of establishing some patterns in life. And, and here's the thing. Those patterns are going to, they're, they're going to shape your life. Some of you are going to play around with some things in college thinking it's no big deal, but I'm telling you, you're going to develop some patterns in college that 30 years from now, you're going to regret you ever, you ever established because it's going to get so hard and become so powerful in your life, it's going to take an absolute miracle of God for you to ever break out of that pattern. Now, you may not want to hear that, but that is the truth. And a smart person, a smart person doesn't establish those bad patterns that can take you down a path you don't want to travel. So how do we change? We want a different future than the past. We want different patterns, different ruts, et cetera. How do we, how do we change? We have to Listen. We have to listen. All of us have all kinds of voices whispering in our ear constantly. And the voice we listen to in life matters. The the information we take in shapes us. And there are some wrong voices, fear. They, They listen to fear. They were afraid of how the Babylonians might respond. And when you're motivated primarily by fear, you're afraid of what other people are going to think about you, how other people are going to look at you, what other people are going to say about you. You're afraid of change because you don't think you can change. You're afraid of success because you don't think you can do it well. And therefore you settle for a lesser life because you're afraid. That's a bad voice to listen to. Self-logic, self-talk. They said, Jeremiah, whatever God tells us, that's what we'll do. But in the end, they did what made more sense to them. Because to them, it made sense to go to Egypt. Egypt would protect them. It got them further away from Babylon. That was the safer. That made sense to them. Yeah, God said, stay, and he would bless us. But no, it makes sense to us. I think, I feel. And when you make decisions about your life based on what you want and what you think and how you feel, when it's in contradiction to what the Word of God says you're not listening to the right voice. Because anytime your voice disagrees with the Scripture, your voice is wrong. Every time. So if you want to change, don't listen to the wrong voices. You need to listen to the right voices. And what are the right voices? Well, you already know what they are. God. Jeremiah asked God what we're supposed to do. He did. God told them. Can you imagine how their life would have been different if they had listened? They wanted to stay in the promised land. They wanted peace. God said, if you stay here, I'll give you peace. If you stay here, I'll bless you. But if you do what you want to, you're just going to create more masses for yourself. But they listened to themselves, to their own logic, and to the crowd that was around them instead of listening to the voice of God. You know, i got, I got news for you. Most of the people in this world do not want what is best for you. You may think they do, but they don't. Most of the people in this world do not want what is best for you. They want what is best for them. Whether they're conscious of it or not, that's their primary motivation. The person who wants what is best for you is God. So you're going to listen to him in life but also godly people, godly people. They had Jeremiah, they had Baruch, but they wouldn't listen. See, if I'm going to listen to godly people, godly voices, I have to choose to have those kind of people in my life. All of us are going to be surrounded by people, and they're going to be whispering things to us, and what they say to us influences us. If you want godly people in your life, the only way that's going to happen is if you allow it to happen. Because I promise you, all the people out here with all kinds of crazy things to say to you are always going to be around. If you want godly people talking to you, you have to be intentional about being with them and hearing them. So when you go to church one Sunday a month, you're not listening to godly people enough. When you get to college and stay in bed because you stayed out all night Saturday, don't get up on Sunday and go to church, you're not listening to godly people. You need to get into a Sunday school class. You need to to get into a small group. When you all go to college, not only go to church on Sunday, but you need to get involved in a campus ministry, whether it's BCM or FCA or any of the others that's available, plug into a midweek campus ministry. Because I promise you, you're going to have all kinds of stupid voices in your ear all the time. You better make certain you get some godly ones. And the only way you'll have godly ones is, is if you choose to go find them. you got to choose to go find them. And the person that God's holding responsible for whether or not you find some godly voices to listen to is you. Not your parents. They won't be there. You. If you want godly voices, you find them. They won't be there otherwise. You find them. Good intentions is not enough. You've got to act on it. Godly voices. Then the last thing is about consequences. See, consequences, the reality is that that consequences exist. Choices have consequences. Good choices have good consequences. Bad choices have bad consequences. And the next thing is that consequences follow us. It followed the people of Judah all the way to Egypt. This week, I was talking with a single mom. Her divorce recently became final. She joked with me that her dad told her he was going to pick out her next husband for her. (laughs) I remember a conversation with her months ago. Where she said uh, that when she was young, she was she was a magnet for bad guys. She said I don't know why, but I was a magnet for bad bad guys. Ended up marrying one, and now she's divorced and a single mom. She said her parents she used to tell her you bring the wrong kind of guys home. And she wouldn't listen, and now she's a single mom. I talked to her this week about patience. Now let me meddle a little bit because that's what preachers do. But if you're smart, you'll take seriously what I'm getting ready to say. The rule of thumb, if you talk to a psychologist, a, 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 a truly experienced, informed counselor, and one of you, I think, is planning on psychology. I don't know if you're going to be a counselor or a guidance. What are you going to do? Is that you? Psycho- who's psychology? You? All right. In counseling? I can tell you, I've been a pastor... For 36 years. And I've seen it repeated so many times. It is, it's sad. It's so sad. When you go through a divorce, and if you go through our divorce recovery ministry, they'll tell you the same thing. When you go through a divorce, you do not need to date a single person until your divorce has been finalized one year. Not separated. Not walked out of the house. Until the divorce is finalized for 12 months minimum. Don't date Even once. Now that takes patience. Why? Because you're more messed up than you think you are. You've got more pain and stuff in you than you know you have when you've gone through a divorce. Whatever the reason for it. And it takes longer to clean that out and to heal and get in a place where you're actually ready for a great relationship than you think. Now, are there some people who've dated sooner and their marriages work? Yeah, but not the majority because we know that second marriages are more likely to divorce than first marriages and third marriages are more likely to divorce than second marriages. Why? Because people are not patient and they don't wait and they don't grow up and they don't heal. They think they've learned, but they haven't. It takes time. And so I've told this, this single mom, my greatest fear for you is that you won't be patient and that In 10, 15, 20 years, you'll be right back in this same mess. Because if you don't understand why you were a magnet for bad guys in the first place, you're going to be a magnet for bad guys again, even if you think you're different. That's how patterns work. That's how ruts work. That's how life works. And the impatient person dooms themselves to more pain than God ever wanted them to experience in life. The person who cannot trust God, wait on God, and obey God always pays for it in some way. Always. I can't see the clock, so I don't know what time. Oh, there it is, 10-11. I need to quit. Brothers and sisters, it's not just these graduates. Some of you are 60 years old and your life is still a mess. Relationships are a mess. You're religious and you come to church, but you're more like the people of Jerusalem and Judah than Jeremiah, even though you come to church every Sunday. You don't listen to God. You do what you want to do. So my challenge to to all of us today is start listening to and obeying God. Good intentions are not enough. Let's stand. And when I say amen, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we're going to have an invitation. Pastors are here, ushers during the prayer. Come on down and line up here at the front with your offering plates during the prayer. And uh, I'm inviting people to come and make decisions for Christ. Talk to one of the pastors down here to give your life to Christ. Get on your knees and pray. Bring your commitment cards and place them in the offering plates that the ushers are going to have here at the front. So let's pray, and during the prayer, the ushers will come forward. And then when I say amen, we'll start singing this hymn, and you, you come and make your decisions for Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for the fact that in your Bible, you don't hide the truth from us. You, you, you give it to us the, the good and the bad, the, the pleasant and the ugly. And you do it because you love us. And you want us to be wise and to be warned and to make good decisions. And I pray, God, that all the people in this room who are hearing your voice right now would not only listen, but they would obey. They'd do what you say. Whatever you prompt them to do, God, may they do it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. You come. Make your decisions. Bring your commitment cards. You come right now. Pray.